0: Greetings and welcome to our Bible class for today in Philippians chapter 1. We finish this chapter today covering verses 27 through 30. Four verses packed with valuable instruction we can all apply today. Now there is a shift here in the letter. In the previous verses, it is narration. Paul describes what happened to him gives his perspective of faith and talks about his future. And we have noted in previous classes, he is, with all of this, encouraging the Christians in Philippi, and by application and extension, he's encouraging me and he's encouraging you in the faith and the activity of faith of Jesus Christ. This section begins with verse 17, and it is an imperative, meaning Paul is giving instruction for the Christians in Philippi to follow. Paul is saying, this is the way we need to be living our lives. This is about conduct and unity and courage against opposition. We're going to read Philippians 1, 27 through 30. I hope you have that open in your Bible. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side, that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Before we get any further into the details of this, I want to point out something that is vital. Paul connects two things, life and the gospel of Christ. That sounds so simple, doesn't it? But let's explore that for a moment or two. There may be some inclination to think of the gospel only in terms of the message or plan that takes us out of sin. I've actually heard people say something like, once I hear the gospel and respond and become a Christian, I'm finished with the gospel. You are not. Paul not only presents the gospel as the plan of salvation, but the plan for living after baptism. May I say that again? Paul not only presents the gospel as the plan of salvation, but the plan for living after baptism. So, for example, when preaching and teaching is given from the Bible, directed to Christians about how they should live every day, that's the gospel about how Christians ought to live. So think of one message recorded in the New Testament about how to get out of sin and then how to live apart from sin after your baptism. So here is this expression that captures that. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The gospel that takes you out of sin when you respond to it also contains instruction for daily living. I commit to that daily living when I'm baptized, and that can be called living in a manner worthy of the gospel. When you take what the apostles of Christ reveal from heaven, and you use that as your pattern for living every day, you're letting your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that's our obligation, and should be, of course, our desire and our delight. Next, there is a statement that is about presence versus absence. Let's talk about that. Presence versus absence. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. There is a lot there. But right now, I want to talk to us about presence versus absence. I want to get a hold of that part of it with you. Have you ever heard something like this? Parents have the preacher over for a meal. And they say to their children, you must be on your best behavior because the preacher's coming. You realize what that says? It says to children, as soon as the preacher leaves, you can go back to your usual misbehavior. Adults obviously should never convey such a message to children. But my concern is there are adults who have that ill conceived perspective. So there is your ordinary, careless misbehavior, but in the presence of certain people, you artificially elevate or revise your outward behavior. That's just wrong. It's hypocritical. Paul says you need to be living daily in keeping with the gospel, whether I'm there are not present or absent. Our devotion to God, our devotion to God should never be turned on and off depending upon who's watching or who we are with. In point of fact, real devotion to God is not something that you turn on and off. Even if nobody is looking, we ought to be pure and right before God, because God is always watching. So daily life must be in keeping with the gospel. In the presence of all men, or even when we are alone and nobody is watching except God. Look at this part standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The opposite of standing firm is halting, stumbling, weak, inactive. The expectation is those who have obeyed the gospel need to stand firm. In good spirit and mind, working together for the faith of the gospel. And in the English Standard Version, the phrase in verse 27 is side by side. If you have the King James, striving together, not striving against each other, striving together. Same in the New International Version, striving together. Some translations have working side by side. I have an illustration. In Army basic training, we went through an exercise called the obstacle course. You navigate through mud puddles and climb high walls and drop down on the other side and crawl under barbed wire, etc. You train on that course and then you are tested for your individual timing. A drill sergeant has a stopwatch, and he checks your time from start to finish, and you have to clear a certain minimum time. That's individual time. Then there is another exercise where you go through that course as a team, a platoon. One platoon competes against another. The platoon with the best time Is considered superior now my point when you go through that course for your individual time you're on your own nobody picks you up if you fall in the mud when you go through the course as a team everybody looks around and helps everybody it is a team effort if you can't make it up the wall Your buddies grab hold of you, and they pull you up and drop you down on the other side. It's a team effort. That's what we're looking at here in Philippians 1, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Help other team members when they fall. It is something you do together, and this is one of the many arguments in favor of of being a participating member of a good local church. Do you see that? Verse 28. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. It can be said the Christians in Philippi did have an obstacle course. Paul, whether present or absent, wanted to be a part of the team in Philippi to help them and motivate them through their own obstacle course. He had to do that through writing. Christians, in that Roman province of Philippi had opponents. There was opposition when Paul first came to Philippi. In fact, Paul and Silas wound up in jail. That persecution, that opposition apparently did not stop. There was ongoing persecution in Philippi. Paul didn't want his brethren to be frightened by their opponents. And observe what he said. The opposition was an indication that the opponents were destined for destruction. Their endurance of that opposition was an indication that they were destined for a good outcome, their salvation, and that from God. I'm going to read now Philippians 1, 27 and 28. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, si- striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened by anything in your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Let's move on. 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul and the Christians in Philippi shared faith, but also shared the conflict that comes with faith, the conflict that comes with that way of life, suffering for righteousness' sake. And I want you to notice in the New King James and the English Standard Version how this is worded. The terms are granted Granted to believe and suffer. To grant is to give someone a privilege. To suffer is to go through a difficult experience. Generally, we don't connect these two things. People don't think of suffering as a grant or a privilege. The apostles of Christ lived right in the middle of turmoil and suffering, but rejoiced in that life and counted it to be a privilege. Turn to Acts 4. I'm sorry. Acts 5, 41. Acts 5, 41. Listen to this. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And the next verse, they kept doing what they were charged to do. Teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Paul and the other apostles considered it a privilege, even like a right granted to suffer for his name. Turn to Philippians chapter 3 and find verses 8 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, find verses 8 through 11. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, a a righteousness of my own. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul was humbled by the privilege to suffer in the cause of Christ. He said in Colossians 1.24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Now, the common thinking would be to think, maybe I'm being punished for something I did wrong. Perhaps somehow God got sidetracked and he's forgotten to protect me. But that kind of thinking has no foundation in the Bible and was certainly not expressed by Paul. He considered it a privilege to suffer for Christ, and he wanted the believers in Philippi to share in that perspective. What we see here is commitment so deep, it takes the committed one through any adversity or conflict with faith in Christ intact that gives you stamina to go on under pressure of difficulty. We don't have the kind of foresight that would enable us to see the future and know the struggles we may yet have to go through. But we know what kind of commitment to the Lord that needs to be formed in us today to overcome whatever suffering we may experience in time ahead? I want to read First Peter 3, beginning at verse 13, and then I'll wrap up our study. First Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. having been subjected to him. I'm going to continue into chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. We do not know what is ahead or what we may be called upon to go through that is in the future. But we know what kind of commitment to the Lord we need to nurture today to overcome whatever suffering we may experience tomorrow. Wrap-up time. This manner of life thing is not just an option. God expects for there to be life after baptism daily, life that is directed to him and to his glory. There are people who depend upon their baptism when in fact nothing much has come after their baptism. The New Testament is not vague about this. We obey the gospel, then after baptism, we live in a manner worthy of the gospel, following the instructions for good living given by God through these epistles. People who minimize faithfulness and growth after baptism will give an account to God. Colossians chapter two, verses six and seven. Will you visit that passage with me, please? Colossians chapter two. I'm going to read verses six and seven. It is so clear. Therefore, therefore, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. If your best behavior is only in the presence of certain people, You've got it all wrong, and you have to be reminded that God is always watching. I want to say that again, and I'm going to be turning to a passage while I say that. I'll meet you over there in a minute. If your best behavior is only in the presence of certain people, you've got it all wrong, and you need to be reminded no matter who is watching, or if we are alone and we think no one is watching, God is watching. The presence or absence of people should never be a determinative matter in the activity of our faith. And then there is this idea in verse 27 of one mind. One mind. Unity. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. In those matters that pertain to serving God, by relying on his word, We can be of one mind. Unity is possible and necessary if the Lord's work is to be done. Well, we've had a a good study. We've covered a lot in this passage in Philippians 1, 27 through 30. I want to urge you, after we go off the air, after you conclude this uh, video, to go back and read Philippians 1, through 30, and then pray and think about how you are living in your manner of life before God today. We're glad to have had you with us. Come back as we continue our studies in Philippians. This is all brought to you by the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in Macalla.